Let us be attentive. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What shall I render unto the Lord for all that he has given me? Wisdom. The reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Let us be attentive. Brethren, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. Let them do this joyfully and not sadly, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in everything. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you, the reader. arise, let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be with you all. The reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Let us be attentive. synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made straight, and she praised God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on these days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all of his adversaries were put to shame, 
and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Peace be with you who proclaim the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God. Uh, just before the entrance is made with the, the Holy Gospel during the Divine Liturgy, there is a very beautiful prayer that is read silently, typically, by the priest. It goes like this. Lord, you have given us grace to offer these common prayers with one heart. You have promised to grant the requests of two or three gathered in your name. Fulfill now the petitions of your servants for our benefit, giving us the knowledge of your truth in this world and granting us eternal life in the world to come. I've always found this particular prayer very powerful, for it asks God for two things, two very vital and important things. It first asks God to give us knowledge and not just any knowledge, however, but knowledge about him. The second request is a consequence of the first. Eternal life in the bosom of the Holy Trinity, that is salvation, all of our common goal. Knowledge is a great thing, and the potential to know and to learn is certainly a great gift. You all know the very famous statement, knowledge is power, by Sir Francis Bacon, and this indeed is true, if one means that the knowledge of God is the power for eternal life. But I don't think he necessarily understood exactly what he was saying. Knowledge has allowed humanity to achieve many wondrous feats, more so in the past century than any other time. Incurable diseases are now easily prevented and remedied through our knowledge of medicine and microbes. Knowledge of physics and aerodynamics has allowed us, of course, to, to fly and go into space, land on the moon. Our knowledge of electricity and the atomic world has placed us in the computer age which we are in information and communication travels at light speed. But for all these great achievements, how much has humanity sought the knowledge of God? How much have we desired to come to know the creator of all these incredible things, the maker and fashioner of the universe? I'm afraid that this explosion of worldly knowledge has distanced us from God rather than bringing us closer to him.
we have become self-sufficient with no need for God any longer, or so, so much of humanity thinks. The Lord indeed even warned through his prophet Jeremiah, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. The supreme blessing of human souls is that they can know God. The supreme tragedy is that often it does not want to know him. Being distracted by the things of this world, St. Anthony the Great said, the most grievous loss and the greatest disaster is for a person not to know God. For to know God is not just any other type of knowledge. It is a matter of life or death, heaven or hell. And this is eternal life, said our Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But what exactly does it mean to know God? Does Jesus mean here that eternal life is knowing that God exists? Does he mean simply knowledge of a God? Does he want us to know about God? Or could the knowledge which Christ is speaking about be something very different from what we might think? Even the, the demons named Legion, if you remember that gospel reading, obviously had the first type of knowledge. They knew about God. They knew about Jesus. They even confessed him to be the son of God through the mouth of the man they were occupying. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? They cried out. And the demons certainly believe that God exists. St. James writes in an epistle, for even the demons believe and tremble. However, it is a very different thing to know about something than to know something. For instance, I could tell you all about, I don't know, an apple. I could describe it to you, talk about its, its red color, its roundness, the texture, the sweet taste even. But unless you had an apple in your hand, looked at it, took a bite out of it, chewed it, swallowed it, you would only know about it. You would not know it. How much more so is this true when it comes to people or persons? Even if someone described to you every minute detail of my own life, but you never met me, saw me, talked with me, heard my voice, learned about my life experiences, you would not know me. You would simply know some facts or details about my life. But God wants us to know him and to know him in the most intimate, personal way, not simply know about him. Jesus did not say that eternal life is knowledge about God, but rather, again, he prayed that they know you, the only true God. 
Our salvation consists not in our learning about God, but in understanding and entering into an intimate communion of love with Him. The question is, how do we come to this supreme knowledge of God? We could say that there are certain instruments out there used in science to learn about something. A microscope to look at small things. A telescope to look at the great things, the big things. But we need entirely different instrumentation to come to know about God, who is spirit, who is love, who is light, and who is life. One of the best tools we have, certainly, is the Holy Scriptures, especially the Gospels. For in the Scriptures, we have the record of God's self-revelation, what He has communicated to humanity about Himself and how He wants us to live. No theologian or philosopher could ever come to know God on their own merit. God cannot be grasped with the mind. And if He could, He certainly would not be God. God revealed Himself to Abraham, to Moses, to the prophets, personally. He revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ. These manifestations of the one God we have in the scriptures to come to know him through them. We also come to know God through the life and teachings of the church. The holy fathers of our Orthodox faith have preserved and protected correct doctrine and teaching, guarding the sheep from heresy and false teachings as good shepherds. Wonderful shepherds. I can't help but mention people like St. Nicholas, who was a bishop at the first ecumenical council in 325 A.D. And, I guess in one of my favorite stories about him, even slapped the heretic Arius because he was blaspheming the name of the Son of God. The very first words of the hymn for St. Nicholas say, Canona Pisteos, that he is a canon, a rule, a standard of the faith. As recorded in the book of Acts, St. Paul exhorted the bishops and presbyters in Ephesus, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops to care for the church of God. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, the great apostle says. And I certainly have heard many such perverse things from so-called Christian leaders, and I'm sure many of you have as well. All the ancient heresies are still around in our one way or another, rearing their ugly heads, and we indeed need to hear St. Paul to take heed and be alert. We need to trust in the church that Jesus Christ established and come to know God through his life and teachings. Correct doctrine and dogma is necessary for salvation, my brothers and sisters. And the lived experience of the church has come to know the true God as Trinity, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The truth that Christ came to reveal is the truth about who God is. And the life that he came to give to mankind is nothing less than the very life of the Holy Trinity. If the saying holds true that you are what you eat, well, I also say you are what you worship. Our God is a communion of love in three divine eternal persons. As the great theologian Metropolitan Callistos wrote, the Christian God is not just a unit, but a union. Not just unity, but community. There is in God something analogous to society. He is not a single person selfishly loving himself alone, not a self-contained monad or the one of the philosophers. He is tri-unity, three equal persons, each one dwelling in the other by virtue of an unceasing movement of mutual love. Therefore, those who in their spiritual blindness deny the doctrine of the Trinity deny love itself and thus deny the truth of their own being created in this image and likeness of this God of triune love. There is no individuality in God but perfect love and communion. And this is what we are called to become, to emulate this community of eternal love. Therefore, between the trinity of love and an individualistic, selfish hell, there lies no other choice. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well that God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. That is, we can come to know the Father only through his Son and in his Holy Spirit. Through his Son, because no one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. The Gospel of John begins. And elsewhere he said, I am the truth. In the Holy Spirit, because as a contemporary saint of our days, St. Siloan said, We may study as much as we will, but we shall still not come to know the Lord unless we live according to his commandments. For the Lord is not made known through learning, but by the Holy Spirit. Many philosophers and scholars, he continues, have arrived at a belief in the existence of God, but they have come not to know him. To believe in God is one thing, to know God is another. Both in heaven and on earth, the Lord is made known only by the Holy Spirit and not through ordinary learning. Not only is God made known in the Holy Spirit and through his Son, but the saint is clear in what he just said to point out that we come to know the Lord by living according to his teachings, his divine commandments. This is what Christ meant when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
take note of the unity of the Trinity here. For the Son prays the Father to send the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. And we just heard that the Son is the truth. Therefore, the Spirit of truth is also the Spirit of the Son and the Spirit of the Father. Look at the blessed harmony of the Holy Trinity. Acquisition of the Holy Spirit comes through obedience to the commandments of Christ and through the acquisition and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, one comes to know God and is known by God, God making his home, his abode within. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Certainly through the worship and liturgy and the Holy Eucharist, most especially, we come to know God. We learn and experience his great love and divine plan. We hear his word proclaimed. We relive and enter into the loving sacrifice of Christ. We witness the resurrection and the sending of the Spirit, and we even bring to mind the second coming of Christ. In the Eucharist, we remember the words of St. Paul, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But he also warns that, as St. Paul says, we need to discern the Lord's body in communion to know in truth that what we are partaking of in the Holy Eucharist. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, the great apostle says, eats and drinks judgment to himself. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and then drink of the cup. The most intimate knowledge of God comes when we receive Christ's very body and blood into ourselves. In Genesis we read, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So we understand here that to know someone is to have an intimate union with them. And what can be more intimate than partaking and receiving into ourselves the flesh and blood of Christ, through which he comes to make his dwelling in us together with his Father and the Holy Spirit. The beautiful hymn, right after receiving communion, reflects this reality. We have seen the true light. We have received the heavenly spirit. We have found the true faith, worshiping the undivided trinity, for the trinity has saved us. To him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glory forever. Amen.